Hey, everyone. Thanks for tuning into this episode of the Aquademia Podcast. I'm Sean O'Loughlin. I'm Justin Grant. And I'm Maddie Cassidy. And today we're bringing back another fan favorite. We are sitting down with Denise Gershon for the first part of our Species Spotlight on Pangasius, or as she would have us call it, Swy. I guess it has many names. You'll you'll hear about that when we get into it. But before we do that, make sure you subscribe to Aquademia wherever you listen to podcasts. Yes, leave us a rating and review. Follow us on social at Aquademia Pod, or send us an email, podcast at aquaculturealliance.org. And we are still accepting questions for our next Ask Us Anything episode, so be sure to either tweet at us or email us your question. It can be about anything related to seafood. That's right. We're going to do that listener feedback episode soon. So enjoy this episode with Denise Gershon, and we will talk to you at the end. Welcome to the Aquademia podcast. Our diet is hurting the environment in myriad ways. I mean, we desperately need to eat more seafood. This is a pioneering industry with a whole lot of people who have really good ideas and a lot of experience and are unafraid. Aquademia is your go-to podcast for a fresh take on all things seafood. Sitting down with fan favorite Denise Gershon. She's back. Our all star. Everybody loves the episodes that Denise is in, so we wanted to bring her back. And Thank she you very much. she uh, is our resident expert on a few different species. Uh, you may have heard her from our tilapia species spotlight episode. Uh, and she's back to talk about a type of fish that apparently has many names. We're going to be talking about swai, but Denise wanted me to call it that. I was calling it Pangasius, but. We're going to refer to it as Swy. And I, Swy, I, I, would you call it Pangasius, Sean? <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty so good. So before we get into Thanks. things for listeners who haven't heard from you, Denise, do you want to just give a little intro to who you are and how you know so much about this species? Um, my name's Denise Gershon, and I work for the Best Aquaculture Practices. I'm on the market development team. Um, I work in South Asia, Southeast Asia, and um, with domestic facilities in the United States. And I did my back, a little bit of my background was that I was a seafood buyer for nearly 20 years and purchased SWI um, and kind of watched it explode into um, the United States and um, subsequently moved over to um, the best aquaculture practices. Awesome. So this is going to be another two-parter. If you heard our tilapia species spotlight that was a two-parter we kind of focused on the fish itself and some information about how that is produced and just some info about the actual species and then we did another episode talking more about the market of that specific fish so i think we're gonna do the same thing um because denise is here to give us just drop some knowledge on us about this fish so denise you got some stories you got some uh some some place to start start from the beginning what what is swai how do people know what it is and what are some of the other names? Why would people want to eat it? Okay. Um, I'm going to start off just... You got all that? <laughs> I got all of that. <laughs> In a nutshell, I think I can carry that through. It's a moist white fish, firm texture, neutral flavor. And when I say neutral flavor, what I mean by that is not strong fishy flavor. Um, and it's low cost. It's the type of relatively... And it's, comparatively, <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you're, yeah, and compared to others, and it's the sixth most 
consumed fish in the United States. It's the fish that nobody knows about. And it's all, it's everywhere. Um, it's one of the largest um, freshwater farmed industries um, in the world. And if you've eaten fish and chips in Europe, if you've eaten in a casino in the U.S., if you've eaten on a college campus and you had a fish taco, um, if you've had a pot pot while you're in China, you've probably had swai. And you may have had it by a different name. You may it, have had it. You said it's freshwater, oh. right? Yeah, it is. It's a freshwater fish. Mm -hmm. Okay. I want to make sure raised... that we emphasize that because I think that'll help people kind of visualize everything that we that we talk about moving forward. So go oh, ahead. Okay. I didn't mean to interrupt, but I did. No, 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 no. Please. This is kind of a dialogue and I'm going to talk really fast and then you're going to say, hey, I got a question. I have no problem with that. So in uh, um, U.S., it can be called Swai Suchi Striped Pangasius. In Canada, it can be called Vasa but it can't be called Basa in the United States. It's, um, it can be called Basa in Europe or cream dory or river cobbler, but it doesn't get referred to that in the United States because it's not a, um, a market name that's um, available in the United States. River and, cobbler, I like that. Yeah, that's like that it's- mm -hmm. So, we so what do we call it in the drone. United States? We just call it SWI? We call it SWI. And a lot of times what happens is it just gets marketed as fish. So if you're on a- <laughs> This is you're in a buff, it's a white, mild fish. I mean, I that's, like that's what they do with Pollock sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> where it's just all of a sudden, it's like, boop, that was in yep. there. It's like, oh, okay. And that's really kind of where it, where it falls is that, you know, and you can compare it to other fish, but the fact of the matter is it just hits a niche. It hits a price point and a flavor profile that works. And what's kind of neat about it is that if you look back, I remember back in 2000, when I first started buying fish, nobody knew what it was. I remember having to explain to somebody what the genus and species name of this fish was, and nobody knew what to call it. So it kind of just took on whatever name people gave it. And fish. Um, yeah, well, no, no, no. But the thing is that it, <laughs> it, it, it caused a lot of confusion in the industry. And... Um, Unlike other fish that was known globally, this one had a name depending on where you went. I mean, if you look up, look it up on Wikipedia, you're going to see iridescent shark. It's not a shark, you know, it, it, it's not, it's, um, and that's, that's what has created so many issues for it. And, um, it does, it goes under the radar screen, but it's like that little fish that could, you know, like. <laughs> Like everything, you know, like started in Europe, mark getting it marketed, actually started um, getting it marketed, commercialized, selling it into um, Australia. It was Australians that really helped them with the um, with the breeding and the things. And then it kind of got commercialized going into Australia, moved into Europe, then moved into the United States and then moved into China more recently. And little by little, it's kind of gotten a stronghold. Um, 2016, it blew the charts away in the US and um, there was more swai coming into the country than tilapia, which may surprise you. 
it surprised me. I mean, mm -hmm. it was just the type of thing that if you ask people if they knew what tilapia was, they'd say yes. But if you ask them if they knew what swai was, they'd say no. And you're like, well, there's more swai coming into the United States. I they'd mean, say, yeah, we know what tilapia <laughs> is. It's a disgusting bottom feeder that eats poop, right? And then we'd have hey, to say, hey, hey. go back and listen to our tilapia episode to clear up all those misconceptions that you have. <laughs> do not say that about my tilapia. Do not. Do not. <laughs> Believe me, um, I've had that conversation more times <laughs> than I'd care to believe it. Yeah. So um, I, I, I want to interrupt you real ahead, quick ask. because I know we're talking sure, about, go. we've talked about it being a really affordable fish uh, comparatively. Compared to mm -hmm. what? Compared to tilapia? Compared to salmon? Compared to... No, it kind of competes a little bit with tilapia in terms of the price point, but okay. it's the type of thing that early on it was a substitute. People were just saying grouper. And you could, you know, because they just didn't know what to call it. It, it actually ended up on, um, and this is a true story, national restaurant chain's menu, and it was cousin of grouper. Well, it's not a saltwater fish. It really isn't anything to do with grouper. But because <laughs> of the flavor profile, and some of it was ignorance, some of it was, hey, you know what, we can get a better price point for it. But there was a lot of confusion. and. I think it's kind of, it just needs to have some marketing and some focus and for people to hear, hey, you know, is it, what is it? And give it a name and get it into the retail because the fact of the matter is this goes into food service quite a bit. And when I say food service, do you guys know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, like, like uh, restaurants. Yeah, and like U.S. Foods who ships, you know, they got big giant trucks that bring big batches of food to restaurants and dining halls and universities you know, yeah yeah all of the above yes so hospitals rather than it being on the retail shelf that you see it necessarily in um in a bag for a frozen product in a bag and the like so that's why a lot of people don't know it and a lot of people didn't grow up with it because it really didn't start coming into the united states until 2000 and it's gone under the radar screen so um, that's why I'm here to kind of give it a voice. It doesn't have a voice. It's the little fish that could, but doesn't have a voice. And I was like, it's the little hey. fish with many names. Yeah. Where, <laughs> where, fish with where many does names. it originate? Like what, what, what region of the world is this indigenous to? Because we know gonna, it's raised in a bunch of different places, but. And I want to add to that too. So sure. on top of that question, go. is this a one species fish or is there say uh Pangasius is, you know, there's a couple different variations. Maybe that's why there's so many names. Or is it just we're talking about one fish? Really good question. It started coming into the United States as um, Pangasius bacordi. Okay. And what the Vietnamese realized was that Pangasius bacordi took, it wasn't as fast of a grower. It took a lot of um, water exchange. And then they started, they kind of switched from Pangasius bacordi to, um, and I'm going to slaughter this name and I apologize. The species name is Hypophthalmus. And I don't, I may even have that a bit off, but Pangasius hypothalamus, um, it was a faster grower, did better in, um, in the ponds, didn't take as much water exchange um, and had incredible growth rates and would take pelleted feed and people pretty much didn't look back after that because they realized that's the fish that we have. But what happened was the evolution of it was that 
um, when it started coming into the United States, you kind of started seeing it take off. But in 2002, people thought of it as a catfish because it has barbs. And mm -hmm. um, do you know what I mean by the barbs on a fish? Yeah, like little danglies on a catfish. Um, and so people were referring to it as a catfish. And then they said, eh, you can't call it catfish because... If you look at the genus and the species and the family, they're in two different um, families. Um, they're both, you know how you do um, species, genus, family, order? Mm -hmm. They're in the same order, which is siloriforms, but if they're in different families. One's a Pangasiidae and one's an Ectoloridae. So they said, hey, you can't call it catfish um, legally in the United States. And that was in 2002 of thereabouts that they said it can't be considered a catfish. And um, in 2003, they started putting tariffs on it um, because it was the type of thing that there was a lot of politics involved and they felt like it was an anti-dumping and that made it really difficult. And then in 2008, it was um, the other challenge that they had was the farm bill. And it got written into the farm bill that they wanted SWI to be um, fall under the USDA. So it would have FDA fall, um, oversight and USDA, which traditionally does meat and eggs and chicken, um, or I should say beef, chicken and eggs. So this fish kind of hung around 2008, 2000 to 2018, where it was like, are we going to put it under USDA? Are we not? Next thing you knew, it was under USDA and it was being inspected by the USDA. So <laughs> there's this huge evolution of when the product started coming in in 2000 to the peak in 2016 to... Um, where it is today, number six fish being consumed in the United States. Can you give us um, the five that are ahead of it? Oh, golly. I know shrimp is number one. Um, <laughs> so I seafood, know not these. fish, not necessarily fish. Number six, yes. seafood. Yes. True story. So Calling you out, for, Denise. Ha. <laughs> <laughs> you, uh, you know what? I stand corrected. And you know what? I don't know it all, so... Um, thank you for making Maybe that Maybe we could point. guess. I would say haddock is above it. Salmon. Salmon. No, I would say shrimp, salmon, pollock, yep. um, tilapia, mm -hmm. uh, tilapia, uh, and I, I'm not sure what the fifth is, and then- Mussels. Swai. Clams. Ooh, mussels. No, I think mu mussels and clams are lower. I think so. Okay. Mm-hmm. Let's go, America. <laughs> yeah, eat more seafood. Sustainably raised- responsibly raised seafood. So yeah, this is a fish that, um, it, you know, it trades all over the world. I've got to give them credit. I mean, for something that wasn't being farm raised in the, until like the nineties and really not taking off until the two thousands to having it go global. Um, and when I mean global, I mean really global. And you had asked me a question earlier about it um i asked you where it comes from where what is where it originate where does it originate what is it what part of the world is it indigenous to it's indigenous to southeast asia okay. and what's amazing about it is that it has 
such volume coming out of primarily three provinces in Vietnam. It's not the entire country, but very few other countries have cracked the code um, for raising pangasia or raising swai. And the Chinese have tried. The um, I know that they're trying all over um, Southeast Asia to to raise it, but the Vietnamese have been um, at the forefront of getting the quality there, getting the price point there, um, and really dominated the market. I have to say, you got to give them credit because the fact of the matter is, this is a fish when um, at the hatchery level really hard to reproduce and to get, you know, survival rates and the like, but then takes off. Um, whereas a lot of fish, it's the type of thing that you can get them to reproduce, but then to get them to market size, you struggle with this fish. The, the Vietnamese have done a phenomenal job with that. So they really don't have major competitors at this point in time in terms of um, shipping into the United States and or globally. It's pretty cool. I think the farm that I visited in Vietnam was raising Pangasius or Swai, Swai in, get it right. their in-pond <laughs> raceway system, which any of our listeners, if they want to learn more about IPRS, they can go to the academy, and we have a 20-plus lesson course that people could take on the ins and outs of that. Uh, we'll put, it, put that link in the show notes. But if that is correct, if they can farm these in pond systems mm-hmm. um i'd be i'd be curious to see why other countries aren't finding the same success that the vietnamese have they have warm water and they have a lot of water and the keys to success they, right there well and <laughs> you it's just breathe and you like get your your full eight glasses of water over there well, no and they're, they're <laughs> so they human. were 20 years ahead of everybody it's the type of thing that you know they've got the fingerlings they've got you know mm-hmm. Um, they worked really hard to to make this industry, and it's a very big part of their industry. Um, and I've got to give them credit. It's um, so this is mostly imported to the United States, and from there. Yes, yes, for for certain. Do we Absolutely. know? Absolutely. Do you know if we have any aquaculture swai farms in the U.S. swai farms in the U.S. Yeah. No, we do not. We have catfish farms. Mm-hmm. Um, but we do not have swai farms. And I wonder. I wonder if that has to do with the price point. You know, if it's a cash pr- cash crop, so to speak, then uh, the price point and the cost to run certain facilities. You know, you have to balance that, and maybe that can be a challenge. Th- that's exactly it. That's really the key to it: is being able to be profitable and to make it happen. And pangasius, it, it's. The densities that they can raise it in, it's the water exchanges that they have, it's their hatcheries um, and their reproduction that they're able to get um, that makes the difference. You said that, that they they grow relatively fast. And I know that the Impon Raceway system used like a floating pellet feed. And that was one way they could really maximize that. FCR, I guess you would call it. And Food I'm just conversion curious. ratio. Nice yeah. job, Good Justin. One. Good job, buddy. <laughs> I'm just patting myself on the back. No, yeah. we're going to have you start calculating them yeah. moving forward. I, I, I believe in that course that I referenced a few minutes ago, we actually have some diagrams on how to, how to calculate that. But does this have a, lo- a roughly low 
of FCR. The fact that you know that it should be a low FCR is yeah. excellent. And yes, it does. Um, I will Stable. say, yeah, no, 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 no. That's it, it's an it's an omnivorous fish that um, I think before we get into the, I, I think we should clarify what we're saying for any listeners that may not know what we mean when we say FCR food conversion yeah. ratio. It's basically the ratio of how much food you put into a fish and how the resulting weight that that fish gains. So how much food do you need to feed mm-hmm. a fish to get Certain one of pound of yeah. fish meat <laughs> growth really it, yeah mm-hmm. how much fish and does it need to eat to grow one pound and and that's the ratio you're looking at so and the goal is to get that as, as low, as, low possible. as possible yep and no they've been very successful in doing that and justin i don't know what you saw when you were in vietnam i'm assuming that you were at a pangasius farm if you were in southern southeast um Hanoi. vietnam um Okay. Um, Dong Thap and Angang are the two, two of the major provinces. The third one escapes me. It was like moment. a two-hour drive from Hanoi where the farm was. And I don't okay. know if we went north, east, south, or west from there. <laughs> he was, you were <laughs> was in just a fog like, at that point oh, after traveling hot. to Vietnam. <laughs> it is. It's really hot and it's really humid. In terms of what they're able to do um, in, with the FCR is amazing. And if you saw them feed... They just, they have these, um, I've actually been there quite a few times. They literally will float a, um, a feed for lack of a better word. Like it's not a boat, but it's like a platform, like a barge. Um, and they, it's not as big as a barge, like a a barge conjures, um, motors and things like that. It doesn't, it's not that big, but it's, it's significant. And they go out with these massive feed bags and, um, they feed them and it's just, it's amazing to watch actually. If we could do a video, I know this is a podcast, so you can't do a video, but yeah, tough, tough cool to show to video on audio medium, but you know, you make yeah. this, you make the sound effect, Sean, and then I'll yeah. just make motions <laughs> with my hand. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. So, um, did you yeah, get to see the re- fish, Justin, that they were actually growing? Did you see any of, this is a strange looking fish. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I don't think this is something like people could look at like a really well-grown, healthy rainbow trout and be like, that's a beautiful Gorgeous. fish. That is just such a beautiful fish. I think if you look at, you know, the normal person, you could look at like one of these pangasius or this swai and you're going to say like, that's a weird looking fish because it looks <laughs> like someone took a catfish head and stuck it on the body of, I don't even know, an, another stereotypical fish, but it looks like two fish in one to me because it's got this that does not make it ugly that just makes it I didn't say it was ugly I didn't say it was ugly I just said it's kind of weird looking it's not a typical looking fish it's not very streamlined it's kind of a strange looking fish so um, to me it looks like someone cut and paste a a catfish head onto another species which is kind of funny well add Mm -hmm. another name to its growing list we'll call it the photoshopped fish photoshopped fish (laughs) it needed another name Pangasius photoshoppii Yep. So Denise, I, this may be completely different from what we've talked about, but okay, go ahead. What I've gained from this conversation as someone who likes to try different species, and as I have probably had this, given mm-hmm. what you've how you've described mm-hmm. it, but tilapia is a fish that is relatively mild. It takes on a lot of flavor, really easy to cook. If any of our listeners are in my shoes and, and thinking, okay, I want to check this out now that I know what to look for given the many names we've mentioned on the on this episode 
what sort of dishes do people make with this? Is it I and mean, how can you, you get, get it? By fillets? Yeah, and how where yeah, where can we look to find this? Okay, really good questions. Um it differs from tilapia in that it I mean they're both mild white fish. Um a little bit thicker, okay? And it's the type of thing that it, it differentiates itself right there. Um tilapia is a very thin fish. Mm-hmm. Um and the in terms of like what where you would see it, fish and chips, fish tacos, grilled, all of the above, you know, and in terms of where you would find it, um, a lot of restaurants. I mean, you may see it on shelf as swai frozen um, in a backpack in a bag. Um, there's definitely retailers. Um, I don't know whether I'm supposed to name retailers, but um, there's definitely retailers that carry it, but it's not as big of a mover um, in terms of on the retail shelf as tilapia. They kind of hit two different areas. And yeah. is it used for things like the pre-cooked fish sticks or the the pre like the beer battered fillets that you would buy that are frozen? You could just reheat. I feel like that's where I see like haddock or pollock yeah. usually. But and it uh, sometimes it can be substitute like that can be a substitute. Um, mm-hmm. Has it slightly different profile mm-hmm. than a salt a saltwater fish? Um, but you see it all. It's a lot of times that's what it gets substituted for is um, your, your grouper, your pollock, your, your other saltwater fishes. Um, and it's pretty mild. I mean, it's untreated. I bar none. I have walked this fish around. We had, um, I worked for a major retailer and we had an item and I've never done this in my 20 years that I was like, you have to try this value added product. Wow. And it was like, no, honestly, I was, and I'm a mom. It's the type of thing that I was like, this would go so fast and so easy. And I would say that you really, what you need to do when you're looking for this fish is um, I would say, know where you're getting the fish from. I would definitely recommend having um, responsibly sourced certified BAP product. I would also definitely recommend untreated product if you can do that, because what happens with this fish and um, in this happens in chicken and ham is that and they have to call it out on the label is that um, they either use um, water retention agents. Mm -hmm. Okay, so, you know, when you get like a ham or a chicken and it says, you know, moisture content on it. Mm -hmm. Okay, Mm -hmm. same thing with why. They have to declare mm. it. So, and that's, and there, but I would say that, you know, if you can untreat it, I, I think bar none, it's awesome. I think that then once you get into, and you know this about chicken and um, hams and things of the like, if you over moisturize something that it can, yeah, you can lose it a little bit, just the texture. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's one of the big, that was one of the big things probably two years ago when USDA took over that, that declaration had to be made. And, you know, they'll put that right on the label in terms of, you know, what it's being treated with and the like. Do you think it sounds like it's been on, on the rise and it it seems like it's Mm -hmm. circulating, at least in the United States, a lot more than people realize, including myself. Is there value and if the answer is yes, what do you think would need to change to find this species 
more readily available to the consumer who's looking to fry it up, so to speak, like a fillet of tilapia. Because it sounds like it's 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 circulating, but it's circulating in restaurants and healthcare systems, universities, and things like that. Uh, but not as much. Like if I go down to the local grocery store, I'm maybe I may be hard pressed to find this. And would there be value in that changing? And if so, yeah, I do. That? But I think that a company, somebody has to put marketing dollars to it. Mm. I mean, this is the it's almost the same story as a tilapia. Yeah, very similar. But it seems like it ch- checks similar boxes. So they're almost if tilapia is being successful, why can't this? Unless it's competitive, and then it might not make sense. Which it would be. Maybe. I I don't know why it hasn't taken off. In um, I will say that I, I don't know whether it's because of um, that it's primarily just three provinces, one country, and mm-hmm. you know buyers think, oh, you know, from a risk management, it's not the type of thing that you've got a lot of you know choices. Um, but I will say that there's a lot of companies that do it in those areas, and they are very price competitive. Um, I, I'm not really sure. I think that tilapia had a better hold because it was known in the Hispanic market. It was known mm-hmm. in the Asian market. It was, you know, whereas Swai um, had this weird identity issue when it first started and people didn't know it and didn't know what to call it. And it kind of took off as fish um, and it kind of went into food service and it was high volume and it did its thing. Um, but it hasn't really um, hit mainstream recognition because you don't see it on shelf. Hmm. Yeah. Do you think, and I don't know if this is a thing, but do you think okay. that there is less, how do I phrase this? Do you think there's a, among consumers, there's a bias against freshwater fish? I think it's what you grow up with. You think so? Like honestly, yeah. Like, no, 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 no. I, I'm wondering I, that's if there's really if people point. are going to the grocery mm-hmm. store if they, if they want to try something new, they they're gonna go for something from the ocean as opposed to something from freshwater. I think mm-hmm. a lot of people think of like trout versus salmon. You know, they might say, "Oh, well, if trout has grown in freshwater, it's gonna have a different taste, and I'm not gonna like it." Or, you know, I I, I don't know if that's a thing. I don't know if there's even a big difference to me. You know, I, I the species specific flavors, but um, I don't know if I've really concentrated on freshwater fish tastes different from ocean water fish. In, you know, in certain ways, but I'm wondering if there's a psychology behind that of people think it's it. People may think that it's a better fish or a better choice if it's coming from the ocean or the better status symbol if you get something from the ocean versus freshwater something like that. I don't I'm wondering if that if that has something to do with it as well that if there's a psychology behind that. If you have any thoughts on I that. I honestly I think you hit it spot on. I think people go on vacation, I think people go to restaurants and they look on a menu and they're like, "Oh yeah, when I was down in the Florida Keys, they had snapper yeah. and grouper." And then they want snapper and grouper because it reminds them of when they were on vacation Mm -hmm. at a restaurant. And a lot of people, like, let's call it what it is. Most people have their seafood when they're out at restaurants. It's let somebody else prepare it. I really enjoy it. Yeah, especially. And that's I'm very U.S. centered in my in my thought process right here. Um, But to that point, um, if you grew up, you know, with um, saltwater fish, 
you tend to gravitate towards it. Um, right. Whereas you know, if you if grew you, up in like Alabama or Louisiana and you 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 grew up eating fish from freshwater from the rivers and the bayou and stuff, then you're gonna yep. you'll probably yeah you're gonna gravitate to those and yeah they, that makes sense. They'll you know, and their coastal areas though, like they'll eat red drum. I mean, have you guys eaten red drum? Mm-hmm. That's a saltwater yep. fish that um, is really big down there. But the fact of the matter is, you don't really see it up here. Um, and it has nothing to do. I'm not saying that it has anything to do with swai. Um, I just think that people get used to seeing products that they grew up with as kids. Yeah. I just, I, I, I'm picturing in my mind people going to the grocery store and they're saying, I'm going to get fish. And if their options are, they want to get, a, you know, an inexpensive fish and say swai was there on the shelf. And they're <laughs> saying, okay, yep. I can get tilapia or I can get swai. I don't know much about them. Um, but this one says freshwater, this one says ocean. And I think, I feel like a lot of people would gravitate towards, well, I want to get the ocean fish cause that's going to be better. Or that's going to be fancier or whatever. Um, that's just the mentality both of those that fish I would you mentioned. See. The only thing is the, both of those fish that you mentioned are both freshwater. So it really oh, that's doesn't right, that's differentiate right. sorry, there. Yeah, sorry about yeah. that. That was, no, wild, no, no, that's okay. Fart. But you know what no, I mean? No, like no, if no. they were saying, okay, so, po- uh, Pollock, Haddock, you know, a, a, a common ocean whitefish. Yeah. Um, I, I feel like people would gravitate towards that with this preconception that it's better quality because it's from the ocean versus from a lake or a pond. Yeah. I mean, and that's probably, I, I wouldn't doubt that. I wouldn't doubt that for a second. Um, and I think that people literally when you're shopping, you have like, I don't know whether it's three seconds. I don't know how many seconds yeah, you have it's to not grab a lot. somebody's attention. <laughs> it's not a lot. No. We've talked about this in the I past. Mean, yeah, I mean, you've got a, you know, you're running in, you're running out, you're trying to get in and out of there as quickly as possible, and, um, yeah, it, especially now with COVID, nobody wants to be lingering and you know hanging especially and asking. Now. No, and but that's what's really why I wanted to do this in my heart of hearts. I was like, hey, this is a food service fish, mm-hmm. and nobody really knows it, and it needs some marketing and I need to talk about it because people need to know about it. I mean, it's um it, it it's white mild, you know, hits a price point and um you know, from a flavor profile, you know, a, somebody who's from mainland China can have it in a hot pot, somebody from, you know, um London can have it as fish and chips and somebody from the US who wants to have it and enjoy it can do it in a fish taco. Pretty. So versatile. it kind of it, it can it's adaptive you know it adaptive That's adaptable really word but thank you um you're welcome no i just gotta i gotta give credit there's companies that um in vietnam that you know 20 25 years have really been at this and they've continuously improved and they've worked really hard to um overcome challenges in their production overcome challenges in the politics overcome challenges just in the marketplace. Um, and they're continuing. And I got to give them, I go back to the little fish that could. It's not a little fish. I mean, but it's a <laughs> fish that, you know, really, you know, has kept going. And um, kudos to those who have, who are in it from the very beginning and really, you know, stuck with it. Um, and the other thing that I will say is um, I just want people eating more seafood 
And whether that's tilapia, catfish, swai, I just want people eating more, you know, more seafood. And I think that you can find responsibly raised tilapia, swai, catfish. Um, and I just want people eating more of it. Mm-hmm. And that's why I wanted to bring this fish to your attention. I think the food service is something that we don't, I think food service needs a little bit more love in general. Yeah. We don't really talk about it too much on the show, but it is a huge delivery method of seafood to the greater public. I mean, anyone who has eaten hot lunch at school and ate in the cafeteria in a hospital or at, at a college campus, um, though all that food is, is part of that supply chain. And there seems to be a very niche place for this fish, and it's in that food service supply chain. Um, it, it's, it, that's the place for it. And so I think maybe we should do an episode on food service and how that works and, and, you know, how we get food from there, because I I don't think a lot of people give enough credit to that type of, um, delivery method, because a lot of the food you get from restaurants is not necessarily the chef going down to the docks and like specifically picking out the fish he's going to serve that day. I know in some cases that is the case, but that a lot of times it's a big truck that delivers fish, you know, from a food service company. And we would not really have the food that mm-hmm. we do if it weren't for those things. So, And going back to childhood and how that plays a role in what you eat when you get older. Mm-hmm. If, you, if there's more seafood in schools and school lunches, then the kids are more familiar with it and then they'll be more likely to eat it as they get older. I don't older. remember ever getting fish in school. We had fish and chips for sure, mm. and we did fish sticks a lot. Yeah, we had those two options as well. I don't remember that. At you all. always kind of looked forward to Fridays because there were pizza. <laughs> pizza was yeah. the best day of the week yeah. for pizza. sure. Did you have triangle <laughs> normal pizza or the square? We had this, the rectangle. Oh, no, we... we had rectangle pizza. Yeah, we also mm-hmm. had um, like taco boats. Those were that was a good day, and then grilled oh, cheese and tomato boats. soup was a good day. Oh, grilled cheese day. Yeah. That was good. But I don't remember mm-hmm. having, I'm sure we did have fish and I probably didn't eat it because I didn't eat a lot of fish when I was a kid. So maybe that's why I don't remember it. But Which to that point, my daughter, without me prompting, is a pescatarian. She does eat eggs and she does eat dairy and we've done okay with it. I mean, it's been the type of thing that we go and we go to the, you know, the club stores and we get those backpack bags of, you know, your salmon, your shrimp and whatever. And she loves it. You know, so I think that because of exposure, a lot of kids are, you know, changing. But I will say that, you know, going back to your point about the food service, the one thing that um, has changed in China, and I was talking to um, one of, I was picking our brains of all of our team members from all over the world. And our Chinese counterpart, Kevin, gave me some really good insight. And he's like, you know, home delivery in China is really taking off. And he's like, so... Food service has kind of gone down, but the home delivery in China has really taken off. And so Pangasius is really, or Swai is really taking a, you know, a hold in that regard. I don't know whether we'll see the same trend in the United States. Uh, I don't know how, you know, things will change. It will be interesting to see, that's for sure. I wonder if they would start looking at different products they could do with it that, that aren't as widely known. Like, for instance, we spoke with the guys at One for Neptune who make fish jerky and they use rockfish for it, wild caught rockfish but it's it's just it's a white fish mm. um you know who's to say you can't do something like that make you know get into the snack game or something like that with this different species um you know there's a lot of up we we look at things like this where 
oh, they're limited and they need more marketing. They need more exposure because it's it's such a niche thing that they fit into and they, they could have such a wider reach. Maybe we just need to find the right product for this species um, that will be accepted in different regions. Uh, and then it can yeah. really blow up in a different way. I mean, people just need to think a little more creatively. I'm, I'm curious what what species like this can hold in the future because it seems like it's so versatile that it's bound to hit something at some point that will help it kind of explode. I think it has exploded. I mean, just, just looking at the... <laughs> You just don't know yeah. it. And that, I mean, you've got a, 2016. This is kind of going to blow your mind. All right. 288 million pounds came into the United States. That's almost, a, that's that's a lot of fish. almost as many pounds as uh, Justin has had of steak <laughs> in the last year. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Wow. Maybe a scallops and So that was at the <laughs> peak. Now, I mean, it's dropped off, but the fact of the matter is it kind of, the numbers have leveled out in Europe. It's the type of thing it's dropped off a bit in the States just because of, you know, how things are going. Um, but, you know, this too shall turn. You know, it's it's amazing just to see how it's, you know, 2000, 2007, 2008. And it really just uh, really has done well. So awesome. Well, thank you for Sly. that uh, introduction to Swy Pangasius River Cobbler, all the different names it has. Um <laughs> Okay, and, and for the record, as we close off, in the United States, you can call it Swai, you can call it Stripe Pangasius, or you can call it Suchi. Or That's how you can Pangab market it. Pangasius but... Photoshop EI. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just just recently added. Very as scientific. I'm telling you guys, ago. look up, exactly. look, go to Google Image and just search Pangasius or Pangasius Swai and just look at this fish. It just looks different. <laughs> It's the tiny little head. It's funny because it's like a big fat fish with a tiny little head. I can't get over it. Well, and do you know why that's good for a fishmonger? Because you get better yield. You don't want a big head. Yeah, because you head can't really sell the heads. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Mm-hmm. A little thing. You didn't know that, well, did you, well, What was that dish that we – remember that, that episode we did where we were talking about those the odd dishes? Wasn't there one about fish heads? From uh, Finland it or wasn't, Norway? It wasn't just the head. It was lutefisk and it was – like it was like whole fish, like pickled oh, whole okay. fish, basically. Lutefisk. Which Maddie, you tried that, didn't you, or something like it? Pickled herring, you had? No, or I tried pickled herring. Yeah. yeah. Denise, what's this? Would you try the... it? Wait, 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 whoa, whoa, whoa! Would you try it again? That's the question. Pickled herring, I'd probably yeah. have it again. Okay, fair enough. It's it's an experience, though. <laughs> I will say, Denise, what's the strangest seafood dish you've had? Ooh. While we have you. Um, and live through it. Um, <laughs> well, clearly you did because you're here with us. <laughs> <laughs> um, they do street food when I was in Cameroon, and it would be fish on a grill. And it was the type of thing that some of the Peace Corps volunteers would, like, eat the eyeballs and stuff like mm. that. I never, like, ventured into the eyeball arena. but I, The eyeball arena. So that would be, like, one of my... <laughs> That I love. That's the title of the episode. Know. <laughs> um, That's a great name for a whole podcast, like the eyeball arena. I don't know yeah. what it would be about, and, but I love it. And I can't even tell you, like, in terms of, like, the oddest seafood dish that I've ever had, it's probably something that I pointed at and ate and didn't know what it was. <laughs> That's a good yeah. point. <laughs> That's a good answer. Awesome. Yeah. Realistic. Just try this and tell me what you think. Like, okay, yeah, exactly. what was it? I don't know. Well, yeah, hey. exactly. Denise, thanks, for, good thanks for coming on again. Thank you. We Thank you for giving me the time. I really appreciate no, of course. it. And it's the type of thing that... Um, I'm excited to see how this comes yeah, out. Yeah, we appreciate yeah, we you having spotlight. you on. Our our fans love 
loved your episodes, so it's great to have you on again. I know they're going to like this one as well. This is part one of the Swai Pangasius conversation. We're going to have part two talking a little bit more about the market and where that's headed um, for all of you business folks out there that want to know what's going on with the uh, Pangasius market. And that will be coming up in the next couple of weeks, either next week or the week after. Um, but Denise, thank you again, Denise Gershon. If our followers want to reach out to you, what's the best way for them to do that? I'd say email denise.gershon at bapcertification.org. Yeah, and we will put that in the show notes as well. Thank you. Folks, that was our conversation with Denise Gershon talking about SWI. Insert the many other names. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, Pangasius, whatever you call it around the world. What, what is it? What, what was the one? The river, river cobbler. I like that one. Yeah, me too. Um, as always, we hope you enjoyed it. We hope you learned something, and we hope you remember to subscribe to Aquademia wherever you're listening to this podcast right now. Do it, and leave us a rating and review. We are on Twitter at Aquademia Pod, and we have an email, which I'm sure most of you have already heard. Podcast at aquaculturealliance.org. That's it. Do the thing. Thank you for listening. We will talk to you next time. Bye. Ciao.